You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. We're going to read together the first eight verses of John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we come now to you having sung our songs of praise and worship and adoration. We thank you that you have made us wretches, your treasure. We thank you that you have chosen us, that you have called us here to this place, that you have brought us to faith in Christ. And we now trust you that you will give to us also illumination in your word, and that as we look at your word, that you would be pleased to encourage us, to equip us, to edify us, to educate us in your word, We ask that the Spirit of God would be our teacher. We pray that your word would be our rule and our guide and that your glory would be our concern. We commit our time here to you today to this end. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you have probably heard the term born again at some point, and not just because you've been attending here for the last few weeks and we've been talking about it in John chapter 3, but you've probably heard the term born again in connection uh, just through the media and culture and people around us talking about it. You're going to hear it a lot coming up in the next six to eight months because this is an election year. And so you're going to hear people in the media and in the news talk about the born-agains, plural. That's what we're called now, the born-agains. And I guess at some point, and I don't know when this happened or how this happened, we became an official voting block, born-agains. As if we are to be distinguished from all of the other Christians, you got Christians and then you've got those born-agains. And by born-agains, I guess they mean the ones that are opposed to abortion and opposed to the homosexual agenda and who actually vote their moral conscience and vote what they see to be a biblical, literal interpretation of Scripture. Those are the born-agains. And it's actually entirely misused because if you're familiar at all with your theology and your Scripture, then you know that there are not three classifications of humanity. Born-again Christians, non-born-again Christians, and then non-Christians. There are only two classifications of humanity. Born-agains and non-born-agains. That is to say, believers and unbelievers, Christians and non-Christians, saved and unsaved, redeemed and unredeemed, children of God, children of the devil. Kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness. There's only two classifications of humanity. At some point, and I don't know if this was sort of a leftover, unintended consequence of the moral majority movement of the 1980s, born-agains became a conservative voting block. But we're not a conservative voting block. What does it mean to be born again? Does it mean that you hold certain political positions? 
Does being born again mean that you simply take your Christianity more serious than the non-born agains? Right? You got the born again Christians, and then you got the unborn again Christians, and the unborn again Christians look across the aisle at the born again Christians and say, those guys are fanatics. There's no, nobody more radical, no more fanatical. Those are the guys that actually share their faith. Those are the ones who actually interpret, take the Bible seriously. Those are the ones that go to church. They read their Bible. They pray. They walk with God. I'm one of those Christians over here. Maybe at some point I'll grow into being a born-again Christian. But right now I'm content to be an unborn-again Christian. Is there such a thing? It's almost ludicrous, isn't it? Just listen over the course of the next eight months as you hear all of the political wrangling going on and you'll hear candidate so-and-so of the such-and-such party is favored by the born-agains. <laughs> as opposed to the non-born-again Christians. It's almost just just total silliness. Now, I know that in a gathering of this size, that there is almost no way that I can be guaranteed that everybody here understands exactly what I mean when I use the term born again. And last week, we just simply introduced the subject of the new birth, and we looked at Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus. And today, we're going to unpack that in a little bit more detail. And what I want to do today is get a handle on this subject, on this term of born again. What is it, and what is it not? I know that in a gathering this size, there are people who are sitting here and they're saying, I think that your idea of born again, when you hear me say born again, you're thinking to yourself, those are the serious Christians. Those are the ones that really take their faith seriously, as opposed to the Christians that don't take their faith all that seriously. I am also aware that some of you, and I'm sensitive to this, come from a Roman Catholic background. And in the Roman Catholic Church, they believe in being born again as well. But to a Roman Catholic, being born again happens when you take the sacraments, when you participate in the Mass and baptism and all of the other sacraments, then one is given new life through the Mass, through the sacraments. Is that what I mean when I hear when I say the term born again? Some of you, when you hear the term born again, you think that that happened when you were baptized, that you believed on Christ and then after a while you were baptized and at the time of your baptism, that's when you got born again and given new life. Or you may come from a different type of background where you think that I was baptized as a child and therefore I'm born again. Or when I say the term born again, you may be, be thinking in political terms of that sort of religious right, uh, right-wing conservative voting block born again group, the Pat Buchanan, Pat Robertson, Jerry Falwell type. And that may be your idea of what being born again is. Or you may be sitting here and you're saying, Jim, I've heard the term born again, but I'm not entirely sure what it means. It may mean this. I'm not sure if I am or if I'm not. I know I've placed my faith in Christ. I know that I've been saved. I've been redeemed. I've been baptized. But now I'm kind of wondering, does that, is that the same thing as being born again or is that something different? Or is born again just something that is sort of the next level of Christian life? I understand what Jesus said. I understand that Jesus said you must be born again. But I'm not entirely sure if I understand exactly what he meant by that. Some of you might be in that category. Well, in order to clear up confusion about what the term born again means, we're going to be looking today at John chapter 3, verse 3. Last week, we just barely unpacked it. We looked at that statement that Jesus made in chapter 3, verse 3 to Nicodemus. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I didn't attempt there to sort of unfold the whole doctrine of what is called regeneration. All I endeavored to do last week was really to allow us to hear those words through Nicodemus's ears so we could appreciate what it was like for a self-righteous, works-righteousness-based Pharisee, a Jew, a member of the covenant, who thought that all of his righteousness was tied up in his law-keeping, his observance of the traditions and his observance of all this, all the, the details of the law, 
to hear those words from Jesus, what was it like to Nicodemus? And Jesus essentially in that one statement just brushed all of it aside and said, Nicodemus, it's all for naught. You've been entirely on the wrong road. You have an entirely wrong idea of what it means to see the kingdom of God. You have to start afresh. You need something entirely new. In fact, you need something so radical, so revolutionary, that there's no way that you can affect it in and of yourself. It has to be done by somebody else. You must be born again. You don't need more law. You don't need more traditions. You don't need more pharisaicalism. You don't need a moral reformation in your own life. You need a completely new birth. A radical, that was a radical and revolutionary concept to a man like Nicodemus, who thought he was righteousness, righteous enough that if he were to die right then, he would see the kingdom of God. So, John chapter 3, what does it mean to be born again? Theologically, we call this the regeneration. Regeneration. Re meaning again. Generation meaning to be born or to be generated. To be born again is to be regenerated. Let me give you a definition for regeneration. Regeneration is the sovereign act of God by which He imparts eternal life to those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. It is the sovereign act of God by which He imparts eternal life to those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. Now, for those of you who are taking notes, I'll say it one more time. For those of you who are not taking notes, you can memorize it. It is the sovereign act of God by which He imparts eternal life to those who are dead in trespasses and sins. That is the doctrine of regeneration. Jesus said you must be born again. To be born again is to be regenerated. And regeneration is the same as being born again. So if you are regenerated, then you're born again. If you are not regenerated, then you're not born again. These are theological issues, theological topics, and they have tremendous, tremendous ramifications for your day-to-day life. There's nothing more fundamental or foundational to your Christian life than understanding the doctrine of regeneration. Why is that? Because without regeneration, you don't have a Christian life. If you're not born again, if you're not regenerated, you don't have a Christian life. You don't have a spiritual capacity whatsoever. That is why Jesus said you must be born again. You probably heard the term baptismal regeneration. Baptismal regeneration. That is the doctrine or the belief that says that regeneration, that is being born again, happens in the waters of baptism, at the time, at the point of your baptism. Now, there are all sorts of different flavors of baptismal regenerationists, but basically it boils down to this. A baptismal regenerationist believes that you can believe, you can hear the gospel, believe the gospel, embrace the gospel, trust Christ for salvation, turn from your sin and still not be born again until sometime later when you are baptized, and it is when you go down under the waters of baptism and come up that you are granted and given that divine life. In other words, faith is not enough, repentance is not sufficient, believing the gospel, embracing the gospel, trusting Christ for salvation, none of that is sufficient. At some point subsequent to that, that is when you are imparted divine life by God in the waters of baptism. That is baptismal regeneration. That is, you are regenerated in baptism. Now, to be fair to those who would teach baptismal regeneration, they do not believe that baptism alone saves you. Because they would say, we don't believe that baptism regenerates you because baptism by itself doesn't accomplish anything. It has to be coupled with faith. In other words, otherwise we would just go out and grab in the streets, grab people and dunk them under the water and get them saved if it was baptism alone that saved you. They would say that's not sufficient. If you get baptized without faith... All you've got is wet. 
you have to be have the faith accompanying the act of baptism. And when you have faith plus baptism, that results in your regeneration. By the way, anytime anybody ever says to you, faith plus anything, fill in the blank, that is a heresy. And they are heretics. So a baptismal regenerationist would say, you have to have faith, but that faith coupled with the act of baptism in the waters of baptism imparts that divine life and brings regeneration. I once asked uh, a local baptismal regenerationist pastor, do you believe in baptismal regeneration? He said, no. See, I knew he did. I've been having this discussion with him. He said, no, I don't. And by that he meant, I don't believe that baptism alone saves you. Well, that's not what a baptismal regenerationist believes. Baptismal regenerationist believes that baptism plus faith saves you, or faith plus baptism, however you want to cash it out. So I asked him, are you a baptismal regenerationist? Do you believe in baptismal regeneration? He said, no. He said, answer this question. When a believing sinner, when, when is a believing sinner regenerated? At the moment of faith or in the waters of baptism? He said, in the waters of baptism. I said, that's baptismal regeneration, no matter how you slice it. And that's exactly what it is. It is baptismal regeneration, no matter how you slice it. When is a person regenerated or born again, given new life? At the moment of faith or in the waters of baptism? At the moment of faith. At the moment of faith, not in the waters of baptism. Um, denominations that teach baptismal regeneration would include First Christian Church denomination, Christian Church denomination, Church of Christ denomination, Boston Church of Christ denomination, just to name a few. And I'm not saying that because I'm trying to pick on churches or pastors, but it wouldn't be fair for me to stand up here and say, look, there's spiritual cyanide out there and not tell you where you're going to get it. You must be able to name not only the error, but also where you get the errors. The doctrine of baptismal regeneration is a heresy. And to believe it, listen, will damn you. You know why it will damn you? Because it is to be as fundamentally wrong about the subject of the regeneration and the new birth as Nicodemus was when he says, how can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born when he's old? He didn't get it. Totally missed it. And to believe that you are regenerated in baptism is to totally miss the doctrine of regeneration and the new birth and how it is accomplished, when it is accomplished, and on what basis it is accomplished. And to get regeneration wrong is a damning error. A damning error. I was reading through Charles Spurgeon, uh, his sermon on John 3.3 this last week, titled appropriately, Regeneration. And here's what Spurgeon said. I think I have none here so profoundly stupid as to be Puseyites. Now, Puseyite was somebody who believed in baptismal regeneration. There was a sect in Spurgeon's day. They were known as the Tractarians, also as Puseyites, because they came out of a man with the last name of Pusey. So they called them Puseyites, people who believed that you are saved in the waters of baptism, baptismal regeneration. So, back to Spurgeon. I think here I have none so profoundly stupid as to be Puseyites. I can scarcely believe that I have been the means of attracting one person here so utterly devoid of every remnant of brain as to believe the doctrine of baptismal regeneration. End quote. <laughs> I didn't say that. Spurgeon said that. So you can take that up with him in glory if you would like. Don't you just wish that Charles Spurgeon would have learned to be a little bit more clear about what he really thought about things? That's baptismal regeneration. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about being born again through baptism. What is regeneration? It is the sovereign act of God by which He imparts or gives divine life to the believing sinner who is dead in their trespasses and sins. It is a quickening of the Spirit. You have been born once physically in the flesh here on earth below. You must be born again. 
The term born again in John chapter 3, verse 3, it's two words in the Greek. The first means to beget or to be born or to be brought forth, to conceive or to produce. And that's the idea. That's what's used of, that's the word that's translated there, born. Again can be translated two different ways depending on the context. It can be translated as again. It can also be translated as from above. So Jesus, and the question is, which did Jesus mean? Did he mean born again or born from above? It could be very well that Jesus had both ideas in mind. You have been born once below here in the flesh. You must be born again a second time from above. That's why Jesus said it's an act of the Holy Spirit. And what I'm describing to you, he says in verse 12, is spiritual things or heavenly things. You must be born, not just physically here on earth, but you have to be born a second time, and that from above, and it is a spiritual birth. We're not talking about anything physical. We're not talking about anything physically that is done to you. We are talking about God, sovereignly, by His grace, as an act of mercy, granting to you divine life, quickening your spirit, quickening your soul, giving you a new spirit, a new soul, causing it to be born again. It is an act of the Spirit of God in which He creates in us a new person. It's not just simply a flaming of divine life into us and and making us better. That's what regeneration is. The imparting of divine life to a human being as a sovereign act of God. Now, why is it that you and I must be born again? Why is that necessary? Let me suggest three reasons. Because of the nature of God, the nature of man, and the nature of heaven. God is a holy God. And nothing unholy and impure and defiled and sinful can inhabit His presence. And He is not going to spend eternity with sinners who have not been born again. Who can ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Who can draw near to God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. You must be holy. You must be born again. Because God is holy and we are not. We have to be made something that we are not. And that's what regeneration is. It is being made something that we previously were not. Second, because of the nature of man, and this is really where the rubber hits the road for us and we get down into the, the, the nitty gritty of it. You and I are sons of Adam, made of flesh, and we are dead. And Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3 says, You and I are born dead in our trespasses and our sins. And we once walked in them according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. We were sons of disobedience. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We had no spiritual life in us. And we were children of wrath. When you were born as an infant, you were born a spiritual corpse. There is not inside of man this spark of divine life that needs to be merely fanned into a flame into existence. There is not within us this glimmer of hope, this glimmer of goodness that just needs to be nurtured. There is within fallen man absolutely nothing redeemable, nothing redeeming, and nothing that is pleasing to God. Nothing. You have nothing in you apart from Christ and grace and regeneration that can please God. Man has no act, no thought, no ability, and can do no action whatsoever that will be pleasing to God because of the source from which it comes. A man must be born again. Furthermore, we have no capacity by which to please God. The carnal mind cannot subject itself to the law of God. It cannot do that because it is in hostility to God and it is in enmity against God. We're born in a state of rebellion and we cannot, we will not turn away from that apart from divine grace. And it's not that man is as bad as he can be. It is that man is as bad off as he can be. Our condition could not have been any worse. We were as hopeless as could possibly be hopeless. We were as lost as we could possibly be. And so you must be made something that you were not before and that you are not before, and that is you must be born again. Not only the nature of God and the nature of man, but the nature of heaven. Do you have any idea how indignant the saints in heaven would be 
to have you admitted to their presence in glory without you being made something new. They had to endure all of the scoffing and the vileness and the humiliation of wretched sinners while they were here on earth. All of those men endured that, vexing their righteous soul day after day after day. And then for God to admit you into their presence without making you something different would defile heaven. And it would defile the saints. And they would be rightly indignant. And the unregenerate man would have no capacity to enjoy heaven whatsoever. Because the unredeemed man doesn't love righteousness. He doesn't love holiness. He doesn't enjoy prayer. He doesn't enjoy fellowshipping with God's people. He doesn't enjoy truth. He doesn't like the truth. He hates the truth. The unregenerate man have no ability whatsoever to enjoy heaven. He needs to be made something new. He has to be born again. Why? So that he has the spiritual capacities to love God, to worship God, to enjoy fellowship with God, to love righteousness, to love holiness. Unregenerate man doesn't love any of those things. The human heart is an idol factory, and it churns out one idol after another for the course of its whole life. We are as bad off as we can possibly be. That's why we must be born again. Now, having described what regeneration is, it is the quickening of the soul. It is God imparting to us new life, giving us new capacities to enjoy spiritual things and making us something that we weren't, a new creature, a new creation in Christ. Let me tell you and describe for you what regeneration is not, so you're not confused. Regeneration is not, born, being born again is not a merely a moral reformation. It is not a man saying, I'm going to give up my pornography, my cigarettes, my alcohol, beating my children, cheating on my wife, my lust, and all of that. I'm going to give up all of that, and I'm going to reform my life, tie up the loose ends, make some resolutions, become a more moral person, sort of get a handle on some of these vices and these bad habits that I got. A man may do all of that and still not be born again. Regeneration is not a moral reformation. Regeneration is not changing your purpose. It's not merely having a more Godward life. As if a man might say, um, I all of a sudden came to this capacity or this understanding that I needed to have the let the, the big man upstairs have his way in my life. And I came to an understanding that there is a God and I need to be in touch with something spiritual. And so now I'm trying to become a more spiritual person, a more religious person, sort of more in tune with the universe and with all things divine. That is not being born again. It's not simply taking your heart and turning it Godward. Nor is regeneration simply a profession of certain beliefs about Christ. Nicodemus had a very orthodox, very inadequate, but a very orthodox profession concerning Christ. We believe that you are a teacher sent from God because the signs that you do are legitimate signs from God. Very orthodox profession of faith. It wasn't sufficient to save him. Demons have a very orthodox profession of faith. Regeneration is not coming to a mental understanding of certain things concerning Christ, the gospel, or the Bible. That's not regeneration. A person may have a very orthodox view of Christ and be able to affirm an orthodox statement of faith and yet not be born again. Furthermore, regeneration is not a change of position on certain issues. All of a sudden, now I'm pro-life. Well, happy day, but that doesn't make you born again. Well, I'm opposed to the homosexual agenda. Good for you, but that doesn't make you born again. You can have the best and most conservative voting record of any citizen in this country. You can affirm everything that Scripture affirms in all the positions that you take on every social ill of the day. That doesn't make you born again. You can do that without ever being regenerated. And being born again has nothing to do with your parents. Born into a Christian family, maybe you're a 10th generation Christian. Good for you. You can be all of that and still not be regenerated, not be born again. 
You're sitting here and you're thinking that you're born again because your your parents are Christian, your grandparents are Christians, your great-grandparents are Christians. I hope you're not because you can be a 10th generation Christian and never be born again. Regeneration is not the outward practicing of acts of righteousness. It's not going to church. It's not being baptized. not taking of communion. It's not praying. It's not worshiping. It's not serving. It's not singing the songs, reading your Bible. None of that makes you born again. None of those things are being born again. Furthermore, being born again has nothing to do with an emotional response to a very emotionally appealing sermon. Somebody can get up and present the gospel, and you can hear it, you can understand it, you can get all emotional in on yourself, and you can crawl down the aisle up to the altar, and you can cry there, and you can pray, and you can go through all of that and sing just as I am a thousand times over again, and leave the meeting, the last one out the door, and still be unregenerate and not born again. None of those things is sufficient to save you None of those things makes you born again. What is regeneration? It is an act of God by the Spirit in which He imparts to you the believing sinner eternal life while you are dead in a state of trespasses and sins. That is regeneration, and that is what it means to be born again. Now, John chapter 3 is not the only place where the subject of being born again and the new birth is discussed. There are other places in Scripture where it's discussed. Sometimes it is the agent of regeneration, that is, who regenerates, that is described. Sometimes in Scripture, it is the effects of regeneration that is described. Sometimes an author in Scripture will look at the human perspective of regeneration. Sometimes the author describes regeneration from the divine vantage point. And there are all kinds of different passages that deal with the subject of regeneration. And I'm not going to read all of them to you, but I want to read a couple of them to you and listen to listen to these. Titus chapter 3, and by the way, I I could do a sermon on every one of these passages, and for your sake, I'm refraining from doing so. Titus chapter 3, which Thomas read this morning, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. That, by the way, is the only place in the New Testament where the word regeneration occurs, but it's the same thing that's described in John chapter 3, being born again. And it almost sounds like Paul there in Titus chapter 3 got his language right out of John chapter 3. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He, that is God, saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. That is, God is the author of that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul describes the effects of regeneration. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, the new, all things have become new. That is the effect of regeneration. I am made a new creature in Christ, a new person. I have a new identity. I have new everything. I'm new in every way. That's regeneration. It's not circumcision and it's not uncircumcision that profits a man, Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, but a new creation. That's what the issue is, new creation. In, in James chapter 1 verse 18, it is the agent of regeneration that James describes In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of firstfruits among His creatures. In the exercise of whose will? His will. He did what? He brought us forth. That's the language of regeneration, being born again. It is God who does it, and the exercise of His will, He brings us forth, He causes us to be born again through His word of truth. God is the effective agent of regeneration. It is something that He does. It is not something that we affect in and of ourselves. First Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy, mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is an act of God's great mercy by which He 
caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Then later on in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, You have been born again, not of seed which perishable, but the imperishable, that is through the living and enduring Word of God. What is it that God uses to create that new birth? It is His Word. His Word is the midwife, as it were, which creates the faith and brings forth the new creature in Christ. When we say that the Word of God is powerful, this is what we mean. Not that it has any mystic ability that when chanted or said or spoken or read, it has some sort of supernatural incantation mantra type effect. But what we mean when we say the Word of God is powerful is that when it is accompanied by the Spirit of God in the will of God, this book and the Word in this book has the ability to give spiritual life to dead sinners. That is amazing power. That is the power of the Gospel. That is the power of the Word of God. He brought us forth as an act of His mercy. He caused us to be born again through the imperishable Word of God. John, in his Gospel, or in his epistle, first epistle, if you know that He is righteous, then you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of Him. You practice righteousness? doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It means that the direction, the defining characteristic of your life is not unrighteousness, but that it's righteousness. 1 John 3.9, no one who is born of God practices, that is, keeps on perpetually practicing sin as a habit of life. Because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. The child of God cannot continue to perpetually practice sin because he's born of God. Only those who are not born of God are able to do that. 1 John 4, verse 7 Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. First John 5, 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. First John 5, 4, whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. First John 5, 18, we know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. And First John describes all of the effects of being born of God. If you're born of God, you don't practice sin. You don't love it. You don't live in it. You don't habitually dive into it. You love the brethren. You affirm orthodox things concerning the person of Christ. You love to be with God's people. You continually confess your sin and love righteousness. Those are the marks of those who have been born of God. People who do not practice and are not characterized by those things are not born of God. They're simply not born of God. You can know these things. You can know this. This is not a, you can test it. You can see it. John chapter 1. Verse 12 and 13. This is not the first time in John's Gospel that we've read about being born of God. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. There's the imagery of birth. Even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Who are the children of God? Who are those whom God has granted to become His children? Those who have been born of God. They are the children of God. And if you're not born of God, you're not a child of God. And if you're a child of God, then you've been born of God. And you've been regenerated and you've been born again. So that is what the doctrine of regeneration is. That's what the new birth is. It is the imparting of divine life inside the soul, the quickening of a dead sinner who is spiritually dead and before has no capacity for anything spiritual or anything righteous or anything holy or the enjoyment of any spiritual thing. And God gives that as a gift of grace through His Word and quickens the life of the person within and creates something that was not there before, a new creature, a new creation in Christ. Have you ever tried to define life? How would you define life? Ever sat down and thought through that? Write out a definition of life. What is life? 
Well, I guess things that have life are things that are living. Now, we might know what the characteristics of a living organism are, right? They mature, they grow, they develop, they reproduce. Those are characteristics of living organisms. If something doesn't develop and reproduce and grow and mature, then we know something is wrong or it's dead, one of the two. But as long as something is growing and living and reproducing, we know it is living. But what is life? How do you define life? Well, life is, I guess, the absence of death, right? Or is it the presence of non-death? Well, what is death? Well, death really is the absence of life. But what is life itself? How do you define life? You probably never sat down and thought it through. Probably nobody in this room would be able in a heartbeat to give me an adequate definition for what life is. But yes, listen, intuitively we know the difference between that which is living and that which is not living, right? You don't stumble across rocks and look down and say, I wonder if that was alive. You never do that. You can walk upon a corpse and you can tell in a matter of moments if it's alive or if it's dead. But in your mind, in order to make that discernment, you never at any time have to sit down and think, okay, now what is my definition of life? I've got that here in a card somewhere. Oh yeah, here is my definition of life. That therefore is not living, and that therefore is living. You don't have to do that. Intuitively, you know the difference between life and death. How is it that you know that? See, friends, it's the way it is in the physical realm is very similar to the way it is in the spiritual realm with regeneration. The difference between a man who has been born again and a man who has never been born again is the difference between a man who is alive and walking and living and a rock. It is that different. And you may be sitting here and say, I'm not sure if I have ever really truly been born again. If that's the case, then you probably have not. You probably have not. You don't pass from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You don't pass from death to life unawares. And then later on say to yourself, I'm not sure if anything really changed or if anything really happened when I did that. If you're not sure if you've been born again, you probably are not. At some point, and maybe it, for some people it takes a matter of days for that whole process to happen, for new birth to come. Some people it's real quick. Some people go through a season of life where they say, you know what, I'm not sure when exactly that happened during this period of time. But everybody who is born again would be able to say this. I know that at X point, I was dead. And at X point, I was alive. I don't know exactly when that transition happened, but I know I went from death to life. I know I went from a point of being utterly darkened in my intellect, not understanding any spiritual things, to a point of all of a sudden seeing everything clearly. I was blind at one point, and now I see. At one point, I loved my sin. I didn't just fall into sin. I dove into sin, and I enjoyed sin, and I practiced sin, and I looked for opportunities to sin, and I was arrogant in my sin, and now I hate sin. And I don't dive into it. I might fall into it, but I hate it when it happens, and I wish... I wish at the bottom most parts of my being that I could be forever rid of all of my sin right now. And you would be able to say, I went from a point of not having any desire or any taste for righteousness or holiness or the presence of God or fellowship with God or worship. I didn't care about the truth to a point where all of a sudden all I'm concerned about is the truth. I love spiritual things. I love righteousness. I love holiness. I love being with God's people. At one point in my life, I would have never guessed that I would ever arrive at a point where I have all of these new desires and new affections and new drives, new ambitions, a new viewpoint, a new perspective on everything. 
At one point in my life, I would have never said that would ever be me. And now I look back on that one point of my life and say, I can't believe that that was me. Can you say that? Has it been a radical change? Or did you walk into here saying to yourself, I think I've got it covered because I've been baptized. I went forward. I signed the card. I prayed the magic sinner's prayer. I got my fire insurance, and I think I'm covered. Or did you walk in here today saying, I am here because I love righteousness. I love God's people. I love God's word. I love God's truth. These are affections and these are desires and these are longings that I have in the deepest parts of my being. And I know that I have no capacity before I got saved to enjoy or love any of these things. And all of a sudden, this is what I love. If that's the case, then you've been born again. You may never have understood that it happened. But if you've been born again, then you know there's a difference between life and death. There's a difference between light and darkness. And you're not confused on the issue. You may not be able to describe it. You may not have been able before today to define it. You may not even be able to pinpoint an exact day, moment, and hour when it happened. But you know that you've passed from death to life. Now, if you're a Christian who's sitting here this morning... Oh, before I say that, let me let me get one last thing. I understand that this is a very shallow fly-by treatment of a doctrine that is so profound, so amazing, so broad, that it, it, this, what I've done here doesn't even do justice to it. I understand that. My goal has only been to give you a handle on what regeneration is and what regeneration isn't. With that in your mind, we're going to be able to go on verse 4 and following. And some of the things that Jesus said, we're going to be able to crystallize them a little bit more. And maybe some of your questions will be answered as we get further into the text. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you are a Christian, then my goal has not been to give you angst over whether or not you're saved. So that you walk out of here thinking to yourself, I sinned yesterday. Am I still saved? Or am I saved? If that's, if that's your mentality, you're saved. The unregenerate, non-born again people don't worry about their sin. They don't worry about their relationship with God. It's those of us who have been born again that examine ourselves and say, I want to make sure that things are right. I'm concerned about this area of my life. I'm concerned about sin. The characteristic of a born again Christian is that they get anxious over their assurance. They get anxious over their sin and they hate sin and they want to be rid of it and they want things to be right. So if you're a Christian, my goal has not been to make you vexed or anxious over the state of your soul. If you're a Christian, then you know by experience the things that I have described, and you can rest in this, that having been born again, he will never let you go. You will never lose your salvation. You are secure in his grace. You don't have to worry about that. If you're not born again, then let me say this to you. If you are uncertain and you say, I don't know if I've been born again or not, I've done the religious thing for quite a while, but I really can't say that I have had a total renewal a total new creation, a total new thing made of me. If that's the case, then I would say this. Do not leave here today without getting that issue settled. Don't walk out of here and go to sleep another day. 250,000 people die every day, and you could be one in that number before the clock strikes midnight tonight. I'm not trying to scare you, but I am trying to say this is a serious issue, and you need to make sure you got it settled before you walk out of here. Come and talk to Jess or Dave or myself, one of us. Don't be embarrassed. It's no big deal. Just make sure you have the born-again issue settled before you leave here. Let's pray together. Our Father, we have discussed some very heavy and weighty things this morning. There are things which cause us to pause and examine our own hearts and to look inside. They also cause us to be very grateful and to rejoice in the salvation that has been granted to us. We thank you that you have caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
that you in the exercise of your will and your immense mercy caused us to be born again, brought us forth by the word of truth. We thank you for your word, which was quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, pierced to the heart of our soul and created faith within and made us a new creation in Christ. Thank you for that grace which accompanied faith, for the grace which brought faith, for the grace which has brought us anew into your kingdom. Thank you for translating us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, for opening our eyes and for giving us the capacity to love you, to serve you. Thank you for creating in us a longing for holiness and righteousness and truth. And thank you that we are your children. We have been born not of the not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but by your will, by your grace, and by your goodness. And we thank you for that. We rejoice in it. And Lord, we ask if there is anybody here today who has heard this, who has never been born again and has never repented of their sin and trusted Christ, oh God, we ask that you draw them to yourself and that today might be that day of salvation for them. Do a quickening and renewing and creating work within to make them new creatures in Christ, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.